the concept of reserve accounts for individual differences in susceptibility to age-related brain changes or Alzheimer's disease-related pathology. There is evidence that some people can tolerate more of these changes than others and still maintain function. Epidemiologic studies suggest that lifetime exposures, including educational and occupational attainment, and leisure activities in late life, can increase this reserve. For example, there is a reduced risk of developing Alzheimer's disease in individuals with higher educational or occupational attainment. It is convenient to think of two types of reserve. Brain reserve, which refers to actual differences in the brain itself that may increase tolerance of pathology, and cognitive reserve. Cognitive reserve refers to individual differences in how tasks are performed that may allow some people to be more resilient than others. The concept of cognitive reserve holds out the promise of interventions that could slow cognitive aging or reduce the risk of dementia. The possibility of a connection between life experience and the prevalence of dementia has long been discussed. In 1981, Gerland wrote, it is still an open matter whether there is an important sociocultural contribution to the prevalence of Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia occurring in the senium, but evidence now available is sufficiently intriguing to warrant further study of the issue. In an interesting pairing of articles in 1986, Kidner suggested adjusting for education when screening for dementia, in order to avoid ascertainment bias. In a dissenting view, Berkman suggested that we must remain open to the view that educational level and or socioeconomic behavior correlated with it may be a genuine risk factor for senile dementia and are worthy of scientific exploration in their own right. In 1990, Katzman and colleagues published a report of lower education being associated with higher prevalence of Alzheimer's disease and dementia in Shanghai, China. These observations sparked my interest in studying the association between various aspects of life, experience and dementia, and subsequently a long-term research program designed to understand cognitive reserve, CR. This review will provide a theoretical account of reserve and summarize epidemiologic research that has lent support to the concept of cognitive reserve. It will describe our Attempts to identify the neural substrates of reserve using imaging studies. Finally, it will examine the clinical implications of the CR concept. Although I review CR in the context of Alzheimer's disease and normal aging, it has also been demonstrated to provide benefit in vascular injury, Parkinson's disease, traumatic brain injury, HIV, neuropsychiatric disorders, and multiple sclerosis. The concept of reserve has been put forward to account for individual differences in susceptibility to age-related brain changes and pathologic changes such as those that occur in Alzheimer's disease. Reserve can act as a moderator between pathology and clinical outcome, thus accounting for this discontinuity. One convenient, although somewhat artificial, differential classification of reserve is brain reserve versus CR. The original concept of brain reserve was quantitative, for example more neurons or synapses to lose 
This idea is supported by a set of studies that suggest that prevalence or incidence of dementia is lower in individuals with larger brains. I have suggested that this is a passive model of reserve, in that it suggests that the brain can simply tolerate more pathology before it reaches a critical threshold for clinical symptoms to appear. In contrast, the concept of CR suggests that the brain actively attempts to cope with brain damage by using pre-existing cognitive processing approaches or by enlisting compensatory approaches. This would allow an individual with high CR to better cope with the brain damage than an individual with lower CR. In cognitive reserve brain function rather than brain size is the relevant variable. Thus the CR concept is an active form of reserve in that the same amount of brain damage or pathology will have different effects on different people, even when brain size is held constant. Although the initial conception of brain reserve was entirely quantitative, recent evidence suggests that this concept is more nuanced. For example, stimulating environments foster the growth of new neurons in the form of neurogenesis, and upregulate BDNF which fosters neural plasticity. Still, while in some ways interdependent, brain reserve and CR make independent in addition to synergistic contributions to understanding individual differences in clinical resilience to brain pathology. It is still an unresolved issue whether and how these two components of reserve interact. Reserve was initially posited as a moderator between brain change and clinical outcome. But there are recent suggestions that life experience may also act to prevent or minimize pathology. On a simple level, it has always been recognized that exercise may serve to help prevent vascular disease. However, there are suggestions that cognitively stimulating activities may slow the rate of hippocampal atrophy in normal aging, and perhaps even prevent accumulation of amyloid plaque. While these ideas are promising and intriguing, they are beyond the scope of the current review, which will be limited to how CR may help cope with brain changes once they develop. Our group first addressed the concept of CR in a study of incidence dementia. The assumption is that disease pathology slowly develops over time, independently of CR, and that the pathology begins many years before the onset of clinically diagnosed AD since people with greater reserve should be able to tolerate more AD pathology, the onset of clinical dementia should be delayed. We analyzed data from 593 non-demented individuals aged 60 years or older followed over 4 years. Individuals with less than 8 years of education had 2.2 times higher risk of developing dementia compared to those with more education. We also examined the potential impact of occupational attainment. Based on U.S. Census categories, participants were grouped into low, unskilled, semi-skilled, skilled trade or craft, and clerical office worker, and high manager business government and professional technical, occupational levels. Those with low lifetime occupational attainment also had 2.25 times greater risk of developing dementia than those with higher lifetime occupational attainment. The implication of these findings was that educational and 
Occupational experiences imparted a reserve against the expression of Alzheimer's pathology. In a later study, we assessed participation in a variety of leisure activities in another set of non-demented elders. An interview elicited self-reported participation during the month preceding the interview. In the following 13 activities, knitting or music or other hobby, walking for pleasure or excursion, visiting friends or relatives, being visited by relatives or friends, physical conditioning, going to movies or restaurants or sporting events, reading magazines or newspapers or books, watching television, or listening to the radio, doing unpaid community volunteer work, playing cards or games or bingo, going to a club or center, going to classes, and going to church or synagogue or temple. We divided the participants with low, equals 6, or high, 6, participation in leisure activities. Those who engaged in more leisure activities had 38% less risk of developing dementia. A review found 22 papers reporting cohort studies of the effects of education, occupation, premorbid IQ and mental activities in Incident Dementia published up to 2004. The great majority of the studies demonstrated a significant protective effect of these lifetime exposures. The authors summarized all of the studies to calculate the protective effect of higher CR and found that it decreased the risk of developing dementia by 46%. In contrast, once AD emerges, those with higher reserves show more rapid decline. In one of the earliest studies of this type, we matched patients with AAD for clinical severity and then followed them over time. Those with greater education or occupational attainment died sooner than those with less attainment. In a subsequent analysis, we also found that those with higher educational or occupational attainment, as defined above, had more rapid cognitive decline. On the average scores on a memory test declined by about 1 point yearly, but in those with higher educational or occupational attainment, scores declined by an additional point each year. We replicated this observation in patients with incident AD and also found more rapid decline in cognitive function in AD patients who engaged in more leisure activities prior to dementia onset. Our theoretical explanation for these findings is illustrated. Individuals with higher CR can tolerate more pathology so the point at which cognitive functions begin to be affected will be later than in those with lower CR. However, we reason that there is common point in all people where the pathology is so severe that function cannot be maintained. Given these assumptions, Individuals with higher CR will begin their cognitive decline when pathology is more advanced and thus have less time until they reach the point where pathology overwhelms function. This results in a more rapid rate of decline once it begins. People with a lot of cognitive reserve generally cope better with advancing dementia, but might they be protected from disease pathology as well? According to a study published April 20th in JAMA Neurology, older adults with at least 16 years of education under their belts had less evidence of neurodegeneration in their cerebrospinal fluid than people with less education.
the researchers, led by Oziyama Okonkwo of the University of Wisconsin in Madison, concluded that cognitive reserve may help stave off pathological changes in the brain that herald dementia. Other factors associated with a college education, such as socioeconomic status, social interaction, and cognitive stimulation throughout life, all could have played a role in beefing up the brain's defenses. Cognitive reserve was originally defined as the extra protection against cognitive decline afforded to people with greater intellectual enrichment. See Stern Research in 2012. Given the same amount of brain pathology, people with a higher cognitive reserve, often measured as a great number of years of formal education, were found to be less susceptible to cognitive decline than people with a lesser reserve. Viewed from a different angle, others reported that given the same level of cognitive performance, people with higher reserves tended to have more brain pathology, indicating that their mental acuity was somehow shielded from the encroaching pathology. However, some recent studies have suggested that cognitive reserves may do something even better prevent pathology from occurring in the first place. For example, William Jagust S. Group at the University of California, Berkeley, reported that AD biomarker signatures in the cerebrospinal fluid developed more slowly in people with higher cognitive reserves, and that APO4 carriers with higher cognitive reserves had less A accumulation in their brains, low research in 2013, and VIR 3 research in 2014. However, Others have failed to find such a relationship, Vimri Research 2012. First author Rodrigo Almeida and colleagues wanted to measure whether cognitive reserve could weaken the relationship between age and AD biomarker levels. The researchers performed a cross-sectional study on 268 people, averaging 62 years of age, in the Wisconsin Registry for Alzheimer's Prevention and the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Of these, 211 were cognitively normal while 57 had mild cognitive impairment due to AD or mild AD. Diagnoses of MCI or AD were based on criteria from the National Institute on Aging, and decided by panel consensus, Albert Research in 2011, and McKen study in 2011. One CSF sample was taken from each volunteer at one time point, and the researchers measured levels of A question mark 42, total tau, and P tau. The researchers first established a link between age and AD biomarker levels. They found that levels of total and phosphor tau, and the ratios of each of these species to A question mark 42, were higher in older subjects, average age 80, than younger, average age 50. Oddly, CSFA question mark 42, which usually falls as AD sets in, actually tracked higher with age in those who are cognitively impaired. Other studies have reported that CSFA question mark 42 can go up just prior to going down, Ryman. Research in 2012. The researchers next determined how cognitive reserve affected the relationships between age and biomarkers. They started by using a statistical 
analysis to determine the interaction between agent biomarker levels, and then measured whether that interaction changed depending on years of education. They found that the difference in CSFP tau and total tau between younger and older people was larger in the 88 people with less than 16 years of education than it was in the 180 with at least 16 years of schooling. 4. Those with low cognitive reserves, levels of CSFT tau were 272 nanograms per milliliter higher in the older group, but among people with high cognitives reserve the older subjects only had 70 nanograms per milliliter more T tau than their younger counterparts. Likewise, P tau tracked 29 nanograms per milliliter higher in older folks with less than 16 years of education, but only 8 nanograms per milliliter higher in those with greater cognitive reserves. This suggested that education could temper increases in CSFP tau and T tau that come with age. The protection vanished when the researchers lowered the educational bar to 12 years of schooling. Oddly enough, cognitive reserves seemed to offer slightly better protection to those with AD or MCI due to AD because it reduced their age-related uptick in CSFP tau by 1.6 ng. L more than it did in the normal group. The authors drew no conclusions about what this small difference might reveal about underlying pathology. How would a few extra years of schooling alter the development of pathology in the brain over time? This study offers no concrete answers to that question. Aconqua said that those mechanistic answers are beyond the scope of clinical research, but pointed out that animal studies have indicated cognitive Stimulation increases the density of neurons, synapses, and dendrites, and reduces AD-related pathology, regardless of how the brain builds reserve. Aconqua said that education may be only one of the factors driving the protective effect seen in his study. Education associates with several other variables that could affect the brain, including socioeconomic status, social interaction, occupational attainment, exposure to toxins, physical activity, and other health issues such as diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. All of these are interconnected, he said. His study did not attempt to disentangle their contributions, although previous studies have concluded that education itself provides a protective benefit. Other studies have also found that physical activity, or cognitive enrichment outside of school, can help prevent cognitive decline. All of these things converge on the same point. There is something happening differently in those with high reserve or resilience, Aconqua said. Since some studies have found that cognitive reserve protects against a given amount of pathology, while others, including Aconqua S, have found that it actually prevents that pathology, which is likely to be true. Aconquo thinks. The answer could be both, but said it is difficult to draw conclusions because each study was conducted using different proxies of cognitive reserve and different study populations, and measured different biomarkers and outcomes. Prashant Ivimri of the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, agreed. One of her previous studies reported that lifestyle enrichment had no effect on a deposition, 
Vimray research in 2012, but she later found that enrichment did delay dementia, Vimray study in 2014. While there has been a recent flurry of papers investigating cognitive reserve, biomarkers, and cognition, there is no clear consensus on these interrelationships, she said. However, all the studies as well as this one have found that cognitive reserve may be helpful in reducing the deleterious effects of dementia. Jagust researcher, who found that lifetime of cognitive enrichment can affect pathology, agreed that it was difficult to reconcile all of the studies. You can draw two conclusions from all this. One, there is growing information that lifestyle directly affects AD biomarkers, not simply the response to such biomarkers, and, two, the data are not in agreement about what lifestyle factors are important nor what biomarkers are affected, he wrote. Yakov Stern of Columbia University in New York, one of the early proponents of the theory of cognitive reserve, said that he had originally never considered the idea that such reserves could alter brain pathology, rather, they could boost resistance to it. Now, the idea that lifestyle factors such as cognitive stimulation or even exercise could also dynamically influence brain pathology is gaining traction, he said. He added that a Conquo-S study sample was relatively small and did not parse out the contributions of other factors associated with education. However, he said the results raised the interesting possibility that the people with higher cognitive reserves in the study may be spared not only from elevated CSF biomarkers, but also from the onslaught of dementia. In 1988 a study published in Annals of Neurology reporting findings from postmortem examinations on 137 elderly persons unexpectedly revealed that there was a discrepancy between the degree of Alzheimer's disease neuropathology and the clinical manifestations of the disease. This is to say that some participants whose brains had extensive Alzheimer's disease pathology, clinically had no or very little manifestations of the disease. Furthermore, the study showed that these persons had higher brain weights and greater number of neurons as compared to age-matched controls. The investigators speculated with two possible explanations for this phenomenon. These people may have had incipient Alzheimer's disease but somehow avoided the loss of large numbers of neurons, or alternatively, started fault with larger brains and more neurons and thus might be said to have had a greater reserve. This is the first time this term has been used in the literature in this context. The study sparked off interest in this area, and to try to confirm these initial findings further studies were done. Higher reserve was found to provide a greater threshold before clinical deficit appears. Furthermore, those with higher capacity once they become clinically impaired show more rapid decline, probably indicating a failure of all compensatory systems and strategies put in place by the individual with greater reserve to cope with the increasing neuropathological damage. The clinical diagnosis of dementia is not perfectly linked to levels of underlying neuropathology. The theory of cognitive reserve explains this phenomenon. People with high reserve go, 
undiagnosed until damage is severe, then rapid decline ensues. Cognitive Reserve can be estimated clinically as it is effectively general cognitive. Ability and knowledge. The variables that are associated with cognitive. Reserve include, IQ, brain size, education, professional attainment, leisure. Activities, and familial history, of diagnosed dementia. It is important to note that cognitive reserve, and the variables associated with it, do not protect from Alzheimer's disease as a disease process the definition of cognitive reserve is based exactly on the presence of disease pathology. This means that the traditional idea that education protects from Alzheimer's disease is false, albeit that cognitive reserve is protective of the clinical manifestations of disease. As of 2010, there was insufficient evidence to Recommend any way to increase cognitive reserve to prevent dementia or Alzheimer's. The presence of cognitive reserve implies that people with greater reserve who already are suffering neuropathological changes in the brain will not be picked up by standard clinical cognitive testing. Conversely, anyone who has used these instruments clinically knows that they can yield false positives in people with very low reserve. From this point of view the concept of adequate level of challenge easily emerges. Conceivably one could measure cognitive reserve and then offer specifically tailored tests that would pose enough level of challenge to accurately detect early cognitive impairment both in individuals with high and low reserve. This has implications for treatment and care. Currently some people who would be eligible for it are not offered treatment while it may be offered in other cases needlessly. In people with high reserve deterioration occurs rapidly once the threshold is reached. In these individuals and their carers early diagnosis might provide an opportunity to plan future care and to adjust to the diagnosis while they are still able to make decisions. This is also known as brain reserve and simply is an assessment of the amount of neuronal and other brain tissue a person has when they go into an accident or injury. Large head circumference, larger brain size, is associated with greater resilience against cognitive impairment. Pernicke research in 2010 Kessler study in 2003. In a recent study involving Alzheimer's patients, head circumference was associated with reduced Clinical Symptomatology for Equal Rates of Brain Atrophy Pernicke Research In 2010, everyone is born with and develops a certain amount of brain tissue, but the life an individual leads both prior to and after an injury can positively or negatively affect a person's cognitive reserve against that injury, as well as the recovery and level of cognition throughout his or her life after such an injury. For example, persons with higher IQ, higher educational levels, higher occupational attainment, higher physical activity levels and higher degrees of social connections experience less severe clinical and cognitive changes in the presence of Alzheimer's, dementia or brain injury. Takare M. and Stern Study in 2011 Also Fair Jones Study in 2011 it is important to remember that not only does active CR help protect against an injury, it also mediates and 
affects the long-term outcome and life of the injured person thereafter. Unfortunately, as we shall see, TBI negatively affects almost all of the factors that affect active CR. Cognitive reserve is always lowered in the face of a permanent brain injury. CR is one of the explanations for why we see such a broad variety of responses to objective brain injury. One client may have a single small lesion and may be unable to function at a previous job while another may have a dozen abnormalities on Mr. and report little by way of symptoms. The association between brain lesions and cognitive symptoms is not always linear, and CR helps explain why. Unfortunately for victims of TBI, both active and passive cognitive reserve are negatively affected by a brain injury. Not only are millions of neurons lost in the brain because of injury, passive CR, the abilities and possibilities of building up or maintaining a high level of cognitive functioning or occupation, active CR, are lost or diminished. It is known that CR is a moderator of post-concussive symptoms in children and that children with lower cognitive ability and a complicated mild TBI were especially prone to longer-term cognitive symptoms. Fay research in 2010. Of special note is a study done by Ropaki and Elias, Ropaki Mountain Study in 2003 in which persons appearing for treatment for brain injury were classified into two groups a negative premorbid history of closed head injury and positive premorbid history for closed head injury the authors found that the patients with a positive history of closed head injury had diminished cognitive reserve secondary to the effects of the premorbid insult which resulted in greater cognitive decline following an additional closed head injury, in excess of what might otherwise be expected from that head injury alone. This study and others can be used to argue not only for a reduction of CR from injury, but the CR literature can explain well-documented phenomena of second and third head injuries being cumulative and can turn pre-existing head injuries into positive features of your case. The cognitive reserve hypothesis states that brains with cognitive reserve can avoid symptoms of dementia despite enduring the physical deterioration that seems to cause the disease in other individuals. Studies show that people with similar levels of cognitive functioning can have very different levels of brain deterioration. Those with great deterioration and high functioning are said to have great cognitive reserve two groups of factors are thought to influence cognitive reserve. The first is baseline cognitive ability. This is measured by early childhood intelligence and is primarily determined by genetic factors. The second group of factors determines the rate of cognitive decline. Lifestyle factors such as education, higher occupation, social interactions and physical activity seem to delay the progression of cognitive impairment. Until recently, it was thought that cognitive decline was an inevitable result of aging. However, it is now clear that some people avoid dementia despite extreme old age. Approximately 30% of centenarians show no cognitive decline and 90% of those with dementia show delayed cognitive impairment.
those who avoid dementia fall into two categories. Firstly, there are those whose brains show little sign of physical deterioration and who also exhibit no signs of dementia. Secondly, there are those cases where patients' brains meet the classifications of Alzheimer's disease but who show no signs of dementia. People may be able to control their susceptibility to Alzheimer's disease and dementia by regulating the lifestyle factors associated with cognitive reserve, leading a life rich in mentally challenging tasks, social interactions, and physical activity may help you avoid or delay cognitive impairment. There has been a great deal of fascinating recent research involving the brain which describes how a person's environment and social ties are fundamentally important to brain growth and repair. When we talk about active CR, we are talking, in part, about the concept of neuroplasticity. The ability of the brain to rewire itself around damaged areas to preserve function. Most neurons in the brain, as it has been well known for some time, do not repair or replace themselves after injury. Neuroplasticity is the brain's way of getting around the loss of neurons, either by rerouting function or utilizing a different part of the brain to take over for another. This is called positive neuroplasticity. There is also a concept known as negative neuroplasticity actions or environments which, rather than promote brain repair and enhancement, have a negative effect on brain repair and function and can lead to cognitive and structural decline. The animals in a zoo, rather than a wild environment, with less complicated lives showed increased dendritic carburization. It is now known that in enriched environments the brain actually sends out and builds a higher number of branches in the dendrite of the neuron than it does in impoverished environments. Multiply this times the untold number of neurons in our brain. And one can see the important effect that environment plays on the actual structure of the brain. This applies to humans as well, stimulating environments and exercise promote neurogenesis, the actual regrowth of brain tissue, in the dentage iris, Brown Research in 2003 Van Prag Research in 2005. Exercise and cognitive stimulation regulate factors that increase neuronal plasticity and resistance to cell death. Environmental enrichment can actually prevent or slow the accumulation of Alzheimer's pathology. Lazarov Research in 2005, in a study with Alzheimer's patients aerobic exercise improved executive function processes in women with mild cognitive impairment. Baker Research in 2010 Matthew and Traja Research in 2011, it has been shown that neuroplasticity, the fundamental mechanism of neuronal adaptation, is disrupted by mood disorders and chronic stress. Hippocampal atrophy has been repeatedly documented from major depression. Pittenger Research in 2008 Higher Educational Attainment, Higher Occupational Attainment and Higher Social Standing have all been shown to increase cognitive reserve social ties and the richness of a person's environment. Provide cognitive reserve that protects against impaired cognition after a stroke, Glimmer study in 2008. Many animal models of environmental enrichment. E. 
have been used to show the influence of social stimulation on mitigating cognitive decline. Read all at research in 2011. Obviously, a TBI takes away brain cells and structure from the brain, but as can be seen, it negatively affects almost all of the other factors involved in positive neuroplasticity and recovery to active cognitive reserve, as well. Enriched enrollment is very important, especially in patients who have suffered a frontal lobe injury. We know that the larger the social network, the more protective the CR. Very commonly those suffering from frontal lobe injuries are described as becoming a loner. Social isolation, withdrawal, and disinhibition all play a part. Persons with TBI or frontal lobe injury are literally on a different wavelength than those around them, hampering the important social networks needed for full recovery and cognitive function. Likewise, we know that increased stress and or mental disorders such as depression impede CR. Persons with TBI are vastly more likely to have a lifetime of anxiety, depression, or mental illness, than those without such an injury. E is thus severely impaired for those with TBI. Finally, the richness and diversity of environment which has been noted to improve CR will likely be absent in the context of a TBI survivor. Cognitive reserve is really a fancy term for a common sense notion that the more brain you have going into an accident or old age, the better your outcome will be. The concept of cognitive reserve, CR, posits that once the brain reserve capacity of an individual is depleted past a certain threshold, clinical and functional deficits and symptoms will emerge. Thus, every client that you see with a brain injury went into the accident with a certain amount of protection against the ravages of dementia, old age, future brain injury or any other insult to the brain. As a result of an injury, the barrier against these rather horrendous futures is lowered and the individual has less CR. Since dementia robs us of our memories and thus CR can also be talked about as a barrier against loss of selfhood, there are generally thought to be two models of CR passive and active. Research shows that the human brain begins to lose memory capacity by the age of 18, and the ability to memorize becomes far more difficult as early as age 30. At age 40, there are obvious signs of wear and tear on the brain. And, like many other diseases once relegated to the elderly, the beginnings of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's are now showing up at 50 years of age. After age 65, the risk of dementia doubles every five years. Presently, more than a quarter of those over 85 suffer from dementia, and fault with the baby boomers, those born between 1946 and 1964, now reaching their golden years, dementia, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's will become even more commonplace in our society. Although it appears that a certain degree of forgetfulness and memory difficulty is normal, new research has uncovered several steps that can be taken at any age to help protect your brain. Scientists have now found that one of the best methods of fending off the symptoms of dementia and brain 
damage is to build up a cognitive reserve. People who live intellectually stimulating lives and who are better educated are somehow better protected against the factors that trigger mental decline. And the protection is not just limited to advancing age, but also problems normally associated fault with stroke, head injuries, toxic poisoning, excess alcohol, HIV, Parkinson's, and Alzheimer's. It appears that increased mental stimulation whether it comes from a career, reading, doing crosswords, or whatever helps build up this cognitive reserve. Cognitive reserve isn't something you reborn with. It has dynamic and changes with time. You can increase your cognitive reserve at any point in your life. MRI studies show that the brain builds up alternative and additional nerve pathways when it is challenged by a new problem. Until this new discovery, scientists were unable to explain why some individuals were able to recover from a stroke while others with almost identical damage were left incapacitated. And, while Alzheimer's disease totally destroys the lives of most individuals, some who are afflicted with the disease live an almost completely normal life right to the end. In fact, in many cases, the only time Alzheimer's is discovered is during an autopsy. When there is an assault to the brain, a cognitive reserve allows messages to be rerouted through alternative networks and pathways. In essence, the more neuronal networks you have, the more damage to the brain you can sustain without exhibiting the signs of mental decline. Mental gymnastics isn't the only key to building a cognitive reserve. Nutrition can also play a key role in protecting and repairing the brain tissue. While I've discussed many of these specific nutrients in the past go enzyme Q10, L-carnitine, alpha-lipoic acid, lecithin and related compounds, royal jelly, ashwagandha, etc. The key components for learning and proper brain function are the fatty acids EPA, icosapentaenoic acid, and DHA, docosahexaenoic acid, which is why I strongly suggest that you eat foods that contain these compounds at least twice a week. DHA is the more important of the two, particularly good. Sources are salmon, sardines, and tuna. I eat them all, but consider sardines. One of the best bargains when it comes to improving brain health and increasing your cognitive reserve. Sardines are not only good sources of essential fatty acids, they are one of the richest sources of nucleotides. The subunits are building blocks from which your body creates RNA and DNA. And among dozens of other positive attributes, they help stimulate the production of neurotransmitters in the brain. The investigators hypothesized that the patients had a larger reserve of neurons and abilities that enabled them to offset the losses caused by Alzheimer's. Since then, the concept of cognitive reserve has been defined as the ability of an individual to tolerate progressive brain pathology without demonstrating clinical cognitive symptoms. Lifetime experiences, like education, engaging occupation, and leisure activities, have been shown to have a major influence on how we age, specifically on whether we will develop Alzheimer's symptoms or not.
This is so because stimulating activities, ideally combining physical exercise, learning and social interaction, help us build a cognitive reserve to protect us. The earlier we start building our reserve, the better, but it is never too late to start. And, the more activities, the better, the effect is cumulative. Ask your doctor.